Welcome back to Leads to Scale, the podcast from Social Media Week. I am your host, Toby Daniels. On this week's episode, we have Paul Contonis, Chief Marketing Officer at Husay, the brand trusted influencer marketing agency. In his role, Contonis is responsible for overseeing the company's marketing, communications, and editorial strategy. Paul is a 20-year veteran of the digital media industry. He has expertise in a variety of different areas, including business marketing, programming, cross-platform video distribution, and the monetization of original digital content. During our conversation, we spoke about creating captivating branded content, why organic reaches in decline, and how Husay acquires new clients. Paul really is a legend in our industry, a real treasure, and someone that I know you're going to love hearing from. I hope you enjoy the conversation. On the podcast today, we have Paul Contonis, the Chief Marketing Officer at Husay. Paul, welcome to the show. Hello, Toby. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Awesome to have you here. Thank you. Um, for the uninitiated, for those of uh, our audience out there that may be sort of unfamiliar with Paul and who you are and what you do, give us a little bit of background. Um, what do you do specifically? Who do you work for? And, and also talk a little bit about kind of your career path and uh, how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you, Toby. So my name is Paul Cantonis. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Hussein. Husay is the brand trusted influence marketer that is now a part of Viacom as of uh, January of 2018. And I've been in digital media and advertising for 25 years. Uh, got started at the early days uh, in 93, 94, 95 around, ooh, I've got an email address, an AOL email address, tacosurf at AOL.com. That was my email address don't have it anymore you know that's a great question i should probably ask that question of, of, of all of our guests what was your first email address because probably most of us like a little bit like our sort of aim handles yeah. most of us probably had like weirdly sort of abstract that's right email addresses i would imagine we were... a lot of people would have college ones yes mine was hotmail but you know uh that was because uh there were no other options i think <laughs> at the time but sorry carry on yeah so I had an email address and that made me highly qualified to begin working on websites and helping companies get their first start on uh, the internet. And so we had started a company uh, called Silvershock and began building out websites for companies that were just determining, hey, I should have something here. Got the chance to work on some really early great projects, early movie websites, early live streams. I mean, basically it was the Wild West. We could do whatever we wanted to, trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And obviously that has transformed greatly in the last 20 years. Yeah, the the the, the time frame I think is just so fascinating. It's interesting. I've interviewed a lot of people who whose careers have spanned a similar time frame, you know, decade, decade and a half, which obviously is pretty much the lifespan of, of the internet as it uh, stands today. Um, I think I started around sort of 97, 98, I suppose. I think I took like a web design course in like 98 to sort of figure out like how to... We had frames back then. We had frames. I remember my first <laughs> sitemap. I probably still have it as a, <laughs> as a printed document. Um, 
but but what's interesting to me about this time frame in the, the last sort of t- two decades is is obviously so much has happened, right? So much has sort of changed over that period. Um, you know, from the advent of the internet, the dot com um, uh, bust. Uh, through to the mid 2000s, which is an important kind of period in regards to sort of the emergence of both um, social media and social networking sites. And of course, you know, the emergence of smartphone technologies, which, you know, in combination, I think has had probably the most profound effect mm-hmm. on how we connect and communicate as as human beings today. And, and during that sort of during the mid 2000s, I think when, when you and I probably first met and um, you, I think, at that time identified a really significant change, a significant shift, and also, I think, opportunity. Can you talk about that? What were you doing? What was the insight? Um, and, and what was the company that you started at that time? Um, and, and what was the opportunity that you were so excited about? Sure. So the time, if we're looking at 20, 2005, 2006, I was the GM of sales and marketing at Kaplan Test Prep. And we were changing the way we were going to market from outdoor advertising to search engine marketing and realizing that was going to be a really effective tool for us to reach our customers, specifically LSAT, GMAT, GRE uh, uh, test takers, right? Who needed test prep. So as I'm going ahead and doing that, I had the opportunity to reconnect with an old partner of mine named Dane Atkinson. And he was um, starting to look at the industry as a whole. And he sent me a link to YouTube. He said, look at this. This is this is late 2006. YouTube had just gotten its start pretty much that year. And man, it was weird. There was crap on there. <laughs> All four by three, yeah. um, low quality type of stuff. And, you know, at first blush, you look at it and go, what the hell? What are you going to do with this? And we started thinking about, well, how could we make money from this? And how could advertisers come in and spend their money on here? And realized pretty quickly that there was this opportunity to provide content for these platforms. And I think that's an ongoing story even today. Platforms need content. Platforms need content from consumers, but they also need content from premium sources to keep and maintain audience. So that was the basic premise. And we raised, went to market, raised money, and launched a web video studio by the name of For Your Imagination that uh, luckily enough was able to create the first web series, premium web series, using a TV personality. It was uh, Patrice O'Neill, who had come over from VH1's Web Junk at the time, the late, great Patrice O'Neill. And we did uh, many uh, 30 plus episodes of the Patrice O'Neill show coming soon, which I still watch to this day. Go check it out. I remember it well. So, so your insight at the time then was, we have these platforms, um, which are obviously a key component of distribution, how we reach audiences. Um, we have also within that, the, the video player, an embeddable player, something that can also aid and assist in the distribution of content. Um, and also we, we have, you know, eyeballs that are shifting from traditional, you know, television towards digital, albeit slowly, at least initially. Um, you know, the next kind of piece of, of that puzzle, um, of course, is is monetization. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you were early um, on many levels, but you were early in terms of thinking about monetization and thinking about the role of brands mm-hmm. and advertisers in this like new um, um, in this new space um, where they can connect and, and engage with consumers. What, what were some of those conversations like, you know, with the advertisers back then? And, and then fast forward 10 years right. and, and talk about how you kind of sort of see 
um, the landscape today, again, in regards to content platforms and, and advertisers? Well, let's do a little throwback to like 2007, 2008. We're looking at YouTube, no monetization at the moment, but there was Rever and there was Blip. And there were numerous platforms that were vying to be the platform of choice for content creators to distribute their content on and sell that inventory that was being created to advertisers. And it was a fight. It was a struggle. It was definitely a different era when it came to CPMs or how this inventory would show up on a media plan. It was, there was no room for it. No one really understood where that opportunity was. And the question was always, well, who, what does that show? I don't know what it is and who do they reach? And, and I remember one of the greatest moments was realizing, oh, we could take a video player and put it within a 300 by 250 ad unit in an ad network and call it syndicated distribution <laughs> and we could get lots of video views and we could arbitrage the difference between the cost to get them and the cost to to deliver the ad wow so that was kind of like the landscape back then and there was always this challenge again of of helping the brands understand how to play within the space so fast forward now brands get it in the sense that there is lots of money going to pre-roll mm -hmm. That is not a question. YouTube has done an incredible job of really elbowing out every other video platform when it came to premium content or creators creating content as series and, and the, the vlogs really came out of the YouTube ecosystem and getting advertisers to buy against that inventory and creating classes of that inventory and making it a part of every brand's media plan. I would doubt there's some brand out there that is not buying YouTube inventory, right? But some of the questions still remain. How does a brand play beyond being interrupted? What is my ad running against? There are still moments of confusion, and I don't know who that is. I think we get fewer questions now, or there are fewer questions in the industry now of, I've never heard of that channel or that show, I'm not going to buy it, to, oh, the young kids watch that, so I will buy it. Right. right? And, so and that's defined by the size of the audience and the sure. demographic of that audience, presumably. Yeah, and the ability to buy multiple of those at once, right? right? So you're not, no one really is going and pick cherry picking shows. They're able to buy, hey, give me this uh, audience, this these interests, these broad categories, and there's enough inventory there to satisfy it. Right. And, and so you just sort of mentioned pre-rolls, you know, ultimately pre-rolls on YouTube are an interruptive advertising yeah. format. Skip ahead. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. And my, my, and what's key about that is my two year old can skip an ad mm -hmm. knowing full well that it's not the content that he wants yep. to see. Um, and, and there's, there's no real great insight in that. Uh, I think all two year olds probably can at this point, but what is important is it's an uh, interruptive ad format, uh, which means that it, 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 you know, it, it's part of a very shitty kind of experience for the for the for the user for the audience member as much as advertisers want to claim that they're creating compelling content that people want to watch the 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 the, the result is that you're, you're making me do something um you're creating a hurdle that i have to kind of you know um, overcome to get to the content that i want to watch um and to a certain extent that the pre-roll is just a sort of a relic of, of a more traditional um form of, of television advertising how many i just want to pose a question to the audience right now how many advertisers are out there listening to this or taking their TV ad and just running it? 
sure. in pre-roll. Raise your hand. Yeah, exactly. And, and just a quick count. It's, a, it's, it's almost all of you. Yeah. yeah, it's almost everybody. And um, and so clearly, you know, maybe this is the necessary kind of stepping stone towards mm -hmm. something better, a more utopian kind of like, <laughs> you know, um, advertising world where um, when where advertisers can, can cre create truly valuable experiences um, that touch and evoke emotion and, mm -hmm. and you know, impact people in, in meaningful ways. Um, and to a certain extent, that utopian existence can sort of, by our industry at least, be, be described as uh, branded content or native advertising. Sure. So, can you talk about the the that obviously um, as as a, a component of online video advertising? What is it? Why is it important? And and how how is it evolving today? What you're getting at basically is the challenges that an advertiser faces at the moment with online advertising specifically uh, in general across all devices and for all audiences. One is you have the fact that most people's experience is on a mobile device. It's a six inch screen at max. It is cluttered, it is filled with uh, pop-ups and pop-unders and things getting in your way every time you want to read an ad or having to skip ad when you're watching a video, it is interruptive, poor performing, and not a user experience that anyone would say is good. That's one. Two is you have a overall distrust in uh, the industry from the perspective of consumers towards brands. You have apology videos coming out left and right. You have data breaches. You have people feeling overall that they're being used on whatever platform they're on. So brands are not looked at always in a very positive light. So you have that. But, but the flip side of that is the sharing economy. People trust other people. I'm willing to get in a car with somebody because they say they're with a car sharing service or I'm willing to use somebody's house because they posted it on on a, a house sharing platform, an Airbnb, let's say. Right. So that does exist as the flip side to that. Then you've got this uh, ability for brands to create content on their own but how to then distribute, how to then reach the audience. And social platforms are not being helpful because organic reach is dropping as the desire is to create, craft the perfect algorithm, which a lot of times cuts out the brand messaging, makes it very difficult for brands to reach the consumer. So take all of that together and brands are faced with a serious challenge of how to effectively spend their money to be meaningful. At the end of the day, running a TV commercial still works for major brands that are reaching broad swaths of consumers. If you're a pizza retailer, you're gonna buy a TV ad and it's going to work. You can cut your digital advertising. A lot of brands will say, I didn't really see much of a change. Yeah. So the, all of that needs to change because dollars are there to be used. And there is a desire by brand advertisers and their agency partners to effectively use that money. So we at Husay operate under that premise and look at the opportunity then to work and work with the brands, partner with the brands to create the type of creative, the type of advertising creative that will cut through, will reach the audience and distribute it in such a way and uh, in such a way to make it cost effective, to make it reach the campaign goals, reach awareness, sentiment, action, whatever those might be how we do that and how we've decided to do that 
is by working with influencer talent, whether celebrities, um, Instagram, in, uh, Instagram influencers, dogs on a platform, you know, that build a following, whatever that might be that best fits for your audience. These creators, these influencers have built followings. The larger the following is not an indication of how well they're going to perform because of how low organic reaches. So you're not going to reach that whole audience, but it is an analog and it is an indicator of their ability to reach, connect and maintain an audience connection. So working with them, collaborating with them and giving them the opportunity to tell your brand story is a way to ensure that you have great creative. Because if you start with a great creative, you can then distribute all these platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, are really good paid distribution platforms. The targeting on these platforms is outstanding, mm. right? Even though Facebook today cut a whole bunch of categories of targeting, you still could do amazing targeting on these platforms. So if you have the right creative, and the right creative is not coming directly from a brand, it's working alongside somebody who's helping tell your story, use it for the distribution, and then measure it accordingly. So um, you, you mentioned that obviously these creators and them creators, we can call them influencers, whatever, have obviously done a really tremendous job at building audience and building, in some cases, huge audiences that at an individual level um, uh, dwarf television sort of size audiences, which obviously have been in decline over the course of the last decade or so. Um, so why why is organic dead? Like why, why is organic reach or distribution dead in the context of like brands working with these influencers? And and um, and 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 so and also, why do you think it is still um, an exciting and potentially really effective um, option for for brands to work with influencers if they can't necessarily reach the the full extent of those audiences? Well, we like to say that it's organic reach is in decline. Right. And in rapid decline. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is over the years from Facebook, for example, and, and Instagram and some recent data that we put together is we're seeing that reach go from what was a much, much higher level to maybe around in the low 20s for Instagram and anywhere from five to seven percent on Facebook for a sponsored post. In other words, a somebody has decided they're going to work with a brand and made a post uh, on behalf of that brand within their own social handle, attributing it to the brand, tagging it correctly for the FTC and distributing that. That's where we see really low organic reach. We see it on non-sponsored posts as well, but it's really low on sponsored posts. So a couple of factors we can speculate as to why algorithmically, you know, how do people respond to this kind of content? Who really wants to see it, delivering it to the super fan? You know, these are some of the things we hear from the platforms. They're trying to tweak it to get the best experience possible. And then, of course, it's in the best interest of the platforms to be conservative in that reach number for the sponsor post because you can pay to amplify it. You can pay to have it reach the people you want. So take those factors in it all together and it makes sense that this is happening. So what do you do? So if you look at an influencer, you decide, wow, they're gonna be really good to work with. And I'm a, you know, a root beer company and I wanna work with 
um, some influencers to, you know, really set the stage for the family drinking root beer and get my message out there. Uh, so identify the influencers that have an audience similar to mine. They can speak to my audience. You know, maybe I do a little audience overlap with them and say, wow, a lot of people who like us on social really like these influencers. Well, great. Let's do something with them. Then give them the opportunity to come up with the ideas. Of course, if they drink root beer, they like root beer, they should um, give them the opportunity to come up with that idea. Oh, this is what I want to do. I want to do something with my family. We're going to make root beer floats. Great. That's a really good idea. Something that fits in with their channel as well. Mm -hmm. Now you look at it and say, okay, they have 2 million followers. We'll use Facebook, for example. Well, we might only hit 6% of them. So what do we do? That's when the paid media comes into effect, right? That's when you say, okay, that's fine. Not everyone that's following them is perfectly for our brand anyway. So let's pay to specifically reach the ones that we want to reach and be reached beyond their fan base. And if you work with the right kind of influencer who makes the right kind of content, it should work for people who even don't know that influencer, right? That to me is the holy grail where you work with an influencer because they have the creative chops to build and maintain their audience, but can make something good enough that if you bring it to people that have never heard of them before, seen them before, they go, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. I'll right. watch it. So it doesn't just benefit the brand. It benefits the influencer of as course. well. Yeah, they, they benefit a lot. So um, let's spend a bit of time talking about Husay. Um, I mean, you obviously touched on um, how you're positioned and, and obviously what your position is in regards to this space. But to talk more about the business of Husay. Um, obviously, you know, this year you were fairly recently acquired by Viacom um, and you, you are, I think, going through a process of being integrated into that business. But um, my understanding is, you know, Husay is very much staying kind of like intact. So talk about, you know, the Husay business today. And then I want to spend some time, um, you know, looking at the ways in which from, from your perspective as the CMO, you know, how you're scaling that business, right? How you're acquiring kind of new, new customer and clients. So, so start with like the overview of Husay and the business, then talk a little bit about how you sort of think about the marketing function um, uh, and how you acquire new customers or new clients. Great. So everything we do and we frame is around our vision of being brand first. We take care of the brand. We are stewards of the brand, of the brand advertisers, whether that's the advertising agency we're working with on behalf of the brand or the brand itself. That is our number one priority. Let's come up with a plan and it starts with creative. It really starts with a creative idea and campaign idea that will, we think will be very effective to reach in the audience. Then identifying the talent that would work well for this campaign and many options of talent within there. You got to vet the talent. They need to be brand safe. They need to be professionals. It's, you know, a good, good kind of rule of thumb is only about 10% of the creators within each category fit that mark but that's still a lot of people to work with so you have great opportunities great options there then collaborate with the creators produce directly with them mm -hmm. whether even if it is a selfie type format be there with them working with them post it compliant with the ftc mm -hmm. and and at the right time and and with all the right keywords that you need and really tell the right story and then use the media have a media discipline to be able to do the right targeting in some cases we 
will use up to 90 different parameters to target the audience and then maybe have at a minimum 10 different audience types that we're using. Then within those, we'll, we'll break it apart some more to optimize the campaign, to get the content in front of the people who will appreciate it the most within the, the target audience. And then be able to measure that in a way, and this is important, measure it like media, measure it in a way that can be compared to other expenses on or other line items on the media plan. At the end of the day, if you need to compete with programmatic pre-roll or display advertising, you're either going effective CPV, effective CPM, maybe you've got a CPE in there, you've got to be able to measure it and put it within that plan. So our structure as a company is set up to do each one of these from in-house creative to um, account managers who can work with the clients and understand their strategic needs to be able to produce the content to talent managers who are constantly vetting talent and putting it within our database called Who Say Match that is free for any one of our partners to use. They can go in and search through the people that we've vetted, we've spoken to. By vetting, I mean, we talk to, we we find out who they are. Um, are they represented by anybody? Do they have a team with them? You know, the more they have a team, the more likely they are to show up at the call time, right? So we'll take care of all that and have it all equipped that way, including a very large media team that is always looking at the data, always looking at new ways to purchase, uh, new ways to distribute the content, to target, to measure the results and do it as quickly as possible. This week's Lead to Scale podcast is brought to you by our very own Social Media Week New York 2019. I'm incredibly excited to announce that the 11th edition of SMWNYC will take place between April 30th and May 2nd at the Sheraton Times Square Hotel in New York City. I'm super excited to share with you our 2019 theme, Stories with Great Influence Comes Great Responsibility which will explore how the content we create and consumes shapes who we are and what we become. Visit socialmediaweek.org forward slash New York and secure your pass today. And if you use the code leads number two scale, you will receive an additional 10% off your pass. Now let's get back to the show. Where do you think we are in, in the the sort of lifespan of of the influencer marketing space or the influence marketing spaces as you uh, like to refer to it as um you know I, I obviously you know youtube was hugely important in terms of um providing a way for independent creators to be able to reach new audiences um that was over a decade ago um you know today um, you know, influencers are leveraging a whole number of different platforms, YouTube still, obviously, uh, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Are we in a maturation phase? Uh, are we still is the, the industry still nascent? Um, where, where do you see um, the industry today? And, and, and w what's the kind of like the next shift that you think will be important um, for this to continue to establish itself as a really fundamentally important marketing channel for advertisers? So if I look at it as a whole and on the aggregate, we are coming out of the test phase and into the part of the media plan phase where it is automatically in there. We're entering that phase. And so some indicators that will help, help you understand why I think it is that way. If we looked at Q1 of 2018, the RFPs we re received compared to 
2017. I would say we had about 50 in 2017, and we had close to 300 in 2018. In 2017, maybe the average budget was close to 200,000. In 2018, the average budget is 500,000. So we're looking at a massive increase just in Q1, Q1 over Q1 a year later in the number of RFPs. So we're seeing a really big, whoo, we, and coming from our perspective and vantage point that we sit at as the largest player within this space when it comes to revenue overall on what's happening out there and the number of deals and the number of brands that we're working with, we're seeing that it's becoming a discipline. It's moving from, you know, sometimes we call it influencer 2.0. Mm -hmm. where we're realizing it's going from, again, something I'm testing to a true discipline where we understand it is a effective and predictable form of media and advertising, uh, again, versus this post and home, post and pray, sure. all, those, all those types of things. So we're definitely seeing that in the increase that we're getting into the activity we're doing, starting to see it in the dialogue out there. Mm -hmm. I think there's still too much emphasis put on things that came out of the first phase of influencer, which is, oh, somebody has a million followers, you want them to take a picture in your with your product and let's see how many people it hits, right? There's still too much of that as evidenced by the conversations around fake followers and, oh, fake followers, fake followers, fake followers. Yeah, the smaller the talent that you work with, the more fake followers they're going to have. We definitely see it at the micro-influencer level. We see levels of sometimes if you if they've got 100,000 100, or fewer followers, they might have 25, 30% fake followers at the smaller levels. At the higher levels, you don't really see it. You don't see those big percentages. Plus, if you're reaching a small amount to them, it's not as important because you're not relying on organic. The other side of it that I think is... Um, very important to take into account that still is this myth that's perpetuated is that everything needs to be unfiltered, meaning allow the creators themselves to make it. Just let them go off and make it and come back. I'll send them my product and hope that they get it up right. right? right. This is now a part and a stage where brands understand more and more. They can sit down with the creators and collaborate with free up the reins and say, okay, here's, here's what you can work with. What would you do? Right. And let's come up with a really good way. And the professional influencers, the ones who are who really want to work with brands and are committed to working with brands, understand that. And they'll say, okay, I'm going to make content that works really well for my customer, for my fan base, I should say, for my fan base. And it's okay to show a brand in there. It's okay because I like the brand. I like this product. Um, so that's a very important part of it as well. And I think when you take all of this into account, we're seeing that that real big shift. So um, Husay is a, a partner of Social Media Week, and, and we've collaborated on a, on a bunch of different events and activations over the years, and, and more recently at uh, Social Media Week here in New York. Um, conferences presumably are an important way for Husay to create awareness around its brand and, and service offering. Uh, an important way to engage um, the the industry and uh, an important way, hopefully, uh, of being able to you know, meet potential new customers. Mm -hmm. um, in, the, in that context, can you talk about how you think about B2B marketing, uh, how you 
think about the Husay brand and, and how you acquire new customers, um, obviously outside of what you do at Social Media Week? <laughs> you know, we have as our mantra in all our activities within the industry is to be the North Star for this industry, to be the company that people can look at and go, let's see what they're talking about, let's see what they're doing, and that's the direction we need to head in as an industry. Everything we try to do is in that vein, is to become that North Star for the industry. And so what does that mean is, it's not about pitching how great we are and how old this it's about getting out information it's about sharing best practices we put out an insights document every year where we open the kimono fully on every step of the process everything we take into account the fact that every time we engage with an influencer for example we ask them do you like this product how do you use it give us a little description of that write something up for us yeah. we ask people have you ever bought followers? Have you ever bought activity? You know, little best practices like that, that to us are just part of our core business. The fact that we took our data, our internal database and opened it up for free to the industry and said, hey, here's a tool that we use to identify talent. Yeah, you have it. Yeah. Find the right talent because it's not about, we realize it's not about having your network and trying to monetize your network. It's not about trying to push celebrities over micro-influencers or vice versa which is still an ongoing conversation in the industry. It is about finding the best solution. So the way to do that and to help brands and to help this industry commit to more dollars, which means more revenue, raising the water level for everybody, is to share all our best practices and to be as transparent as we can on how we do what we do, especially with our clients. We do a lot of educational events. We put out a lot of content where we will share, again, like our best practices, things that we think about, um, influencers that we found, we put out these hot lists of say, hey, you thinking of doing something for the fall? Here, take a look at these guys. We have no relationship with them. You right. just go work with them, but we feel they'll be really good for your campaign, right? That's been our focus here in this space. And one of the, my favorite events that you, you've hosted with Social Media Week uh, a couple of years ago in New York with David Harbour from Stranger Things and it was such a terrific conversation. He's obviously a fascinating guy. He, he is deeply engaged in social media, whether it's on Twitter or, mm -hmm. or Instagram. And, and what I loved about that conversation with, with Steve Ellis, your, your CEO, was the fact that you didn't talk about Hussein once. Mm -hmm. There was no like pitch uh, or promotion of Hussein necessarily. And, and obviously there is huge advantage and benefit from sharing the stage mm -hmm. with, with, with an actor like David Harbour. Um, but the most important thing for me was the value that you were able to create um, for our audience by by putting on and by hosting such a fascinating conversation. And that just seems to be like a, a core tenant of how you think about marketing, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that's, you know, tr true of a lot of people that I've been um, talking to on this podcast, um, that at the industry marketing level, um, it has to start with how you create value, um, how you support the needs of you know, people coming to these industry events. Um, nodding vigorously. And how he is, I can confirm. And, uh, and, and, and you know, what, what, you, what they're going to walk away with, what are you going like, to equip them with? You know, whether it's just inspiration or whether it's education, whether it's practical takeaways, um, it's really about um, the value you create and what you can provide. Um, 
in, in what ways has that benefited you? I mean, in what ways are you now seeing a return um, on the investment that you're making um, into these types of events and, and the return that you get from the value you create? Well, I'll give you a little strategic insight that is not very well known of why we took the approach that we did. I think, you know, we'll, and we'll get to the value part of it. That plays a very important role. And I think that can apply across any brand that is within within a, a B2B market and has B2B marketing needs. But specifically when I got to Hussein in January, 2017, and I had spent Q4 of 2016 evaluating Hussein where it stood in the marketplace. And I had been at the brand content studio, the third act at Digitas and had heard a presentation of Hussein's back in 2012, I think it was, and I giggled when I heard it. Um, the company had started off as a entertainment media and tech com or app company where there were two apps one that was a hootsuite for celebrities to cross post across multiple platforms and then one for consumers to get all these posts from their favorite celebrities and such and then the then the company transformed into doing more of the influencer marketing side of things realizing that the celebrities themselves had much better reach than the app did and so that's how that kind of transformation started but when i got there in in that time period in january of 2017 there still was a little bit of the legacy business still around that we were getting we were phasing out of but more importantly there was a certain understanding of who say within the marketplace what i mean by that is you walked into any agency and you said what do you think of who say oh great who says wonderful who says awesome if we ever need a celebrity or we could do something on your get you to do a celebrity interview we'll call you so there was a disconnect between what we were doing and what people perceived of us as doing and but they loved us so how the challenge at that moment was how do you then talk to people who really like you so you don't want to have to go back to them and go wait 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 wait, wait. listen listen you're wrong you don't really know what we do let me tell you what we do how do you go back to these people who love you and basically tell them we're different now right and do it in a way where they still hold on to that love for you um, without making them question what's going on because they didn't see anything wrong with what we did in the past so it wasn't like oh well that died and now we're switching so that's where i would say at the top level the strategy was kill them with a thousand paper cuts mm. right let's talk to them about things that we do through our findings our insights to maintain that relationship that you are important to us and your success is important to us brand again brand first because that's the way we we're approaching everything we're on the side of the brand and the best way we felt to do that at the time was to create a steady stream of content there's about 60 original pieces of content we'll make every month across all platforms so that might mean we have a main article and then a bunch of native posts that come out of it. So not counting syndicated posts on, you know, we do an article on art.com and then, you know, uh, syndicate the link to Facebook. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about recreating pieces of that on the various platforms that we communicate on that each one adds value. I took some data from two pieces of data that really stood out is, um, you know, if you provide this value in a way that doesn't seem like you are trying to trick them, you know, if you actually give really good information versus very light and fluffy four or five tips on this or whatever, but actually give good stuff, right? Right. People will start to recognize it over time. 
and they'll follow that storyline to, oh, that's what you're doing now. Oh, that's cool, right? Without having to tell them we're different. This is what we are. So we did that. And then we said, we don't want to, we don't want to make people have to jump around to different platforms. So let's go native on LinkedIn. Let's go native on Facebook. Let's go native on Twitter whenever we can. If they're following us there, continue to follow us there. And we'll put the stuff out on .com and we'll do the newsletter. Our newsletter reaches a couple of thousand people every week, every other week, I should say. Amazing open rates on it, click-through rates. And I think we actually gain more people organically on our newsletter from coming to our site and signing up for it than we lose from unsubscribing. So I think we found that right mix of what we need to communicate, how frequently. We're constantly evaluating it and constantly trying to find that data, but it's there to be had. And if you find those insights and you share them, the response is incredible. And it fits into this idea that A, we're the North Star that brands can trust. So let's talk about the future, my favorite topic. Um, can we do that tomorrow? We, uh, uh, I, I've actually just started asking this question of, of, of people, um, inspired actually by an exchange I had with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ian Schaefer, um, which is, you know, are, are you, when you think about the future of our industry you think about the, the role of technology in our lives and social media and where it's all heading, are you on the utopian side or the dystopian side? Do you think about the future in terms of, the positive impact and effect of technology and social media, or are you worried and concerned about the negative? Short term, we're dealing definitely with negatives. And it takes a while for people to become aware of the negatives in social. They have to, it's not always very visible to people how they're being affected by social media. The content that they see the posts that whether they're friends make or fake news or whatever it might be, it takes a while for people to recognize it. And then it takes a while for people after they recognize it to then try to do something about it and take those steps. So I think short term we're battling issues and learning processes and each generation deals with it a little bit differently. Longer term, it will all work out one way or another. I don't know how, whether it's what, information is being shared or if it's a different platform or whatever it might be. One of the things we keep seeing is there are always evolutions coming through and revolutions coming through. The iPhone revolutionized so much of what we do and how we do it every day and what we look at constantly. There will be another one. It will come. I don't know what it'll be. I'm not the right person at all to predict these. I remember when Twitter first came out, I was like, God, this is awful. No one ever is going to do this. And, you know, I, I Snapchat, same mm. thing. I've, I've said it about all the ones that have succeeded, right? right. So I know, don't ask me those questions because, or ask me and then, then go the opposite of me. I just believe it'll, it'll come again, right. right? Websites, internet, email, major transformation, mobile phones, major transformation. It's coming. It'll be something else. I don't know what it is, but it'll come and it'll, it'll be great. And then it'll be bad. And then we'll revolve, you know, revolt again, and then it'll be great and be bad and the whole thing. Well, I think that's a, a relatively positive note to, to yeah. end the conversation on. Paul and I have uh, have known each other for more than a decade, and we over that time have had a number of fascinating conversations. Sometimes over coffee, sometimes over stronger beverages. 
this has definitely been one of my favorite conversations, Paul. So thank you so much yeah, for being on the so podcast. Good. Really appreciate it. For um, our listeners, uh, where can they find you online to learn more about Paul Cantones and where can they find more information about Usai? I think I'm the most well-known Cantones within the U.S. Uh, in Europe, there's uh, another family member who's a big Cantones. So if you're within the United States, just anything at Cantones will find me. And um, whether it's... LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be, I'm there and uh, hopefully putting out some cool stuff. And in terms of Husay? Oh, Husay.com. That's the best place to find us. Fabulous. I'd go right to the .com for that. Great stuff, Paul. Thanks again. Thank you. This has been Leads to Scale, brought to you by Social Media Week. For more information on how to get involved with future events, visit socialmediaweek.org. If you have a moment, please rate, review, and subscribe to Leads to Scale wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.